0: Hey, it's Seth Godin. In the summer of 2012, I had an amazing opportunity to spend three days with a group of extremely motivated entrepreneurs, people right at the beginning of building their project, launching their organization. During those three days, I took them on a guided tour of some of the questions they were going to have to wrestle with, some of the difficult places they were going to just stand up and say, this is me. This is what I'm making. I'm sorry you couldn't be there, but I hope this is the next best thing. Excerpts from the live event, unrehearsed, no slides. Here it is. Enjoy it. But even more important, I hope you do something with it. Thanks for listening. I'm going to talk about these three because they fit. Thank you. (coughs) Ideas... um, Are like riders and they need a horse to get to us. So your idea can be terrific, but if you can't connect it to a medium for which it to travel, nothing happens. So if we think about viruses, viruses need to spread on a sneeze or a handshake or some other form of transmission, and then the idea of that virus gets to the next person. So we need to talk about, A, is your idea a good one? does it hold up strategically, but B, what are you connecting it to to help it travel? If I asked you uh, to describe in just a a word what 7-Up is, it's the oncola. And if you've ever had a Coke, you already know what 7-Up is, even if you've never had one before. That's the work of Trout and Reese and a book they wrote years ago called Positioning. And what they say is that one way to inject an idea into someone's head is to find someone else who's already in their head and hang something right next to it. Because the someone else is still there, right? We are just like the Catholic Church, except we don't have the statues on the walls. Now, if you understand what the Catholic Church is, you understand what Martin Luther was doing. And you can work your way through lots and lots of ideas that over time have built their own structure in people's heads by connecting to somebody else's. So you get up and you have an idea. I don't know enough about it yet to tell you if it's a good idea, but two minutes in you mention Angie's List. Now anyone who knows about Angie's List and then sees your slide says, well, wow, that's a lot like Angie's List. So you have to make an assumption at the beginning, which is, does your investor or does your customer know about Angie's List or not? If they do, you can't make it go away. So you might as well acknowledge it so you can spend 30 seconds telling us, wow, how great Angie's List is. How big they are, how much money they make, they're a publicly traded company, blah, 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 blah. And then you can say, that's all great. And now we already get it, because they've spent millions and millions of dollars teaching us what Angie's List is. And then you say, but here's why we're better. Boom, boom, boom. So now every time I think about Angie's List, the irritating things you pointed out, or the structural problems you pointed out, or the model you pointed out, comes with it. Right? We are Angie's List, but we are free. We are Angie's List, but we are more friendly to the uh, contractors, so we're going to get more of them. We are Angie's List, but we have a book that's going to be distributed like the yellow pages for people who don't want to look people up on the computer. And by constantly coming back to reposition against the market leader, you're doing guerrilla jujitsu. that gives you way more throw weight to get your idea in my head. So, but, so when you talk about it, that's an opportunity. The alternative is to do what Google did. And Google, for three years, never mentioned Yahoo, never mentioned Excite. And they said, we are sui generis. We have our own thing, we are not like them. And here's why. Now, the problem with that is it takes a lot longer and it costs a lot more money. The good news of it is you get to build your own thing. So Apple never said uh, at the beginning, We're just like Microsoft, but without blank. But then when they started doing the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC ads, they really hooked into it. They said, you already know what a PC is. We're going to differentiate ourselves over and over and over again. So they just took all the money that had been spent on PC and went over here. So if I was going to try to teach people what your business is, I would spend one minute, that's all it would take me, to go like that. And then I could spend four minutes proving that it was true and important. Because it's not clear that your advantages are important, but you can make that case. And when I go to market, the other thing I didn't hear from you is, which part of this is going to be hard for you? Is it going to be hard to get contractors? Is it going to be hard to get consumers who's paying? Those elements become very important because focusing on the hard part is key. Your your screenshots are beautiful, but that's not the hard part. So we got to figure out what the hard part is. Okay, um, You've already identified what the hard part is. You've said, I don't know how to make the combination of my story and my whiteboard doodle resonate with people. But you can use not very much money to find out. Right? You give him $1,000 and 10 articles from the Harvard Business Review, and if he can't come up with something, fire him and find someone who can. Right? But that's the only thing we need to see for the first three minutes of your presentation, is let me teach you how they fix Best Buy. Slide, slide, slide. Let me teach you how to side side side, And then you say, do you want more of these? Because when someone stands up to talk about how great their music label is, they don't talk about polycarbonate, and they don't talk about, that. They, they play you some tracks. So play us some tracks. We don't need to see this stuff because we're already identifying as the recipient of what you want to say. And the second half, again, back to the carrier of the idea, I wouldn't spend a penny on technology, not one penny. I would sign up with MailChimp, and I would send out an HTML email to your list. That's the technology. That's all you need to carry an idea. The problem with the web is people have to remember to go back to your website. And they won't. And the problem with the web is people are looking at websites to be beauty pageants. And the problem with the web is they're very hard, it's hard to share a website with someone else. Whereas if you send me an email, my expectations are really low, because email is ugly. Your email is not ugly. And I don't have to go get your email, it's home delivery. Newspapers would go out of business if they didn't have home delivery. Right? So you're bringing it to me. It's beautiful and I can forward it to everyone I know. So stop worrying about technology and figure out how to make one of these that's compelling enough that I want another one. And if you can't, then there's nothing here. And you should just go on to the next thing because all you have to sell is it in a world of news that instantly... Breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. You're not going to give me breaking news. You're going to give me important news, and you're going to do it in a way that I want to share it. That's a creative breakthrough that you have to do. right? And there are people like Terry who, can, who have the taste to look at your... and say, no, that's not going to fly. But what if you did this, or what if you did that? Does that make sense? Okay. And so, Mark, you're certainly one with the industry. You know, you, you talk the same language and stuff, and that's critically important. What I said yesterday about numbers is not that numbers don't matter. What I said is the story of numbers is what they care about, not the numbers themselves. So for Traffic Jam to work, and tomorrow I hope you'll show us more of the guts of it, is the story the CMO tells the boss is what they're buying from you. If that story has numbers in it, so much the better right? But you are here to tell us a story, and that's what we're buying from you. So when you're approaching someone, we already know the first four and a half minutes of your presentation. You can do that in one slide. And we, okay, we all feel the same pain. And they say, now I'm going to tell you a story that you're going to be able to brag about to your employees, to your coworkers, and to your boss. And the story is money spent here is smarter than money spent there. And then we want detail. We don't want to hear about all the failures, because we know them. We want to hear about your Successes or the promise of success. Okay, so let's talk about. We'll start with Tony, the single bar, singles bar problem. Whose is this? The single bar problem is, if anyone actually knew how caring and compassionate and smart and interesting you were, you'd have absolutely no trouble getting a date. But no one cares enough to get that deep and so it all becomes very shallow. And you're driving up the train on the Hudson River and you're looking out the window and you see something and you're not gonna go back and go there later. So when you're talking to somebody about what you're doing, you just gotta dispense with how you got there and why it's important to you and all these things. You gotta say, I'm on a date. I got 10 seconds to make a first impression and I got 30 seconds to make a second impression and then maybe there'll be enough interest to go to the next level. So if you do it with a series of questions, you discover that you can open doors to find out what people are interested in. The reason that's scary is because at any time the person can answer the question the wrong way, and then it's over. And so what we do is, because we're afraid that we're going to get rejected at question number three, we never get to question number three. We just add these other non-deniable layers. what I'm pushing each of you to do is get rejected early and discover what led to it being rejected. Right? Your business has a problem, which is no one's using it today. What would you have to say to somebody in 20 words or less that would make them eager to use it? Eager to pay attention, which is really valuable, or eager to pay money, which is really valuable. What do you say to a person for them to say, yeah I want to know more? And you have to start with that. The difference between Instagram And an app that isn't popular is Instagram only works if I tell my friends. If you build a social connection into this, your head start is sufficient. Because why would someone switch to the other one? If there isn't a social component, you don't have anything, and you should go build something else. Does that make sense? And now I want to talk a little bit about um, the Fortune 1000. Fortune 1000 companies are bigger than most nations. And CEOs are like royalty. And the closer you get to the center of an organization that big, the harder it is to make a sale. Because the people who have those jobs, where they're getting paid three quarters of a million dollars a year, $10,000 a week, $15,000 a week, their main goal is to not get fired. And when you bring an innovation to someone whose main goal is to not get fired, all they're thinking is, will this get me fired? And the scarier it is, the more salespeople it touches, the more impact it's going to have on revenue, the more likely it is, it's going to get me fired. So at the edges of these countries, these companies, if you want to sell you know, the uh, Tampa office six Dell computers, and you go on enough calls, someone's going to buy six Dell computers for you for their little regional office. But if you want to go to the chief sales officer of a big company and say, I want you to buy 15,000 devices, all she's thinking about is, this better not screw up. So if you look at the people who sell to those companies, those organizations have 50, 100, 500 salespeople who do nothing but go to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and working their way through the system because there's a huge payout at the end. So the term we use here is sales cycle. How long does it take from the first day to the last day? Now the sales cycle for in in the iTunes store is two minutes. Two minute cycle from I read it on TechCrunch, I bought it. The sales cycle to get a Salesforce with a thousand salespeople to do this is a year. Either you're someone like Salesforce.com, where Mark has literally probably a thousand salespeople who are trying to break open these big 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 companies or you're bootstrapping the way you are well this one company is enough to keep you happy for five years so what you do is you sit down with your tiny division and you say draw me an org chart and who can you introduce me to and you spend all your time there when i used to work with kinkos i was amazed you walk in and this after you cross reception, the first office on your right, Xerox had an office inside Kinko's. So that, because they were such an important client, if you needed anything from Xerox you didn't have to fly to Rochester, you just walked to the Kinko's office, to the Xerox office inside their headquarters. Well, that's sufficient for you. That you say, I'm gonna have a full-time salesperson who does nothing but call on this one company. You're never gonna run out of people. And if your overhead is small enough, that's sufficient. You're just this internal thing at $10 a seat. You just keep adding seats per month, you're, you're thrilled. So the point the point I'm trying to make is there's a huge difference between telling to strangers and selling to friends, right? So the vibe I'm getting from is he's going to sell to friends. That there are people in the music industry who know him and know his reputation. He doesn't have to spend a whole time bunch of time credentialing him. You didn't have to get credentialed to sell to these people, but if you try to cross the street, and so, someone new, a whole bunch of things in the way you staff your organization are going to have to change. And one of the dangers that every one of you faces, from what I'm hearing, is you've all established credibility and respect and authority with the circle of people you've worked with in the past. And now you're ready to go to a bigger, wider world. And the giant challenge is a lot of that stuff, your winning strategy, the stuff that got you where you are today, doesn't carry a lot of water when you go talk to strangers. And you have to decide, going forward, are you eager to talk to strangers or to friends? So I made the decision four years ago that I was no longer going to write for strangers, that I no longer want any new readers, and I'm not going to dumb down my covers and my writing and my titles to make new people want to read me. I don't want to do what Malcolm has done so brilliantly, which is anyone can pick it up and say, oh, this is sort of for me. I am plenty happy with the people I got. I don't need anybody else. And that changes the kind of outreach I do. It changes the decisions I make. What kind of promotion should I do? Where should I do it? Because if I'm not racing to get new people, if I just want to keep the existing people happy, it's going to transform what you do. So we all need to think about that. How many of you read Bob Lefzitz's email every couple weeks? Every couple? twice, three times a week? Just one of us. So Bob it's L-E-F-S-E-T-Z, has been in the music business for 25 years, and he writes the most uncensored, off-the-top-of-his-head email newsletter about anything, and I read it all the time. Um, and so you will learn a lot by reading Bob's, he rants, basically, rants on stuff. And so when I was sitting with Bob, I said, well, you know, because he was whining that he wasn't making enough money, and because all the heads of all the music businesses listen to him and I said but Bob is that why you do this because if your goal is to make money this is a dumb way to do it to just rant and burn every bridge you can in an email newsletter that has no advertisers this is not a good business model and what's clear is that's not why he does it he does it because he likes it when he walks into any room with music people everyone goes there's Bob Levson's and when he has a fight with Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift writes a song about him, that, like, he's going to wear that on his sleeve for years. So that's what he's in it for. And he's not unhappy about it because that's what he's in it for. So you've got to figure out what are you in it for. Maybe that what you want to do is have an email newsletter that gets read only by 100 people where you go on at length about whatever insight you have and then you make your living doing something that you're good at making a living at. They don't have to be the same thing, right? Right? They could be in the same industry, but they don't have to be the same thing. And if those 100 people are the right 100 people, you're never going to look for a job ever again anyway, because they're going to see how smart you are. So what you've got to figure out is, first of all, does money have to go next to you when you're acting the way you want to act? Because if you separate the two, you can be more true to yourself in both places. right? But if you're going to match them up, you need to find customers who want you to be you. And that's why, so what Bob left is his God is, his brand is, you should only hire me to come in if you want me to tell you the unvarnished truth, and you're going to fire me when I go, but you're still going to pay $10,000 for the privilege. So Bob only does that nine times a year, but that's enough. He's fine, right? And that could be the, the, the path you decide to go down. A lot of people who approach the world you do end up really unhappy because they keep trying to force their I'm um, right on people who don't want to hear right. So you can be smart and say, I don't want to talk to those people. I want to talk to people who do want to hear what I have to say. And you just have to chart the path that matches that. And this is what I chose to do. You know, I was at Yahoo. I could have stayed there. I could have had Marissa's job. There's lots of things I could have. I would have hated every minute of it. Because in order to do those things, in order to be a public company and have a board of directors and have thousands of employees, you have to act a certain way to be good at it. I don't want to act that way, so I went to do something else. So you've got to think hard, look at other people who are living certain kinds of lives, and what's the value transaction? And all of you have that same opportunity, right? That, to say, I, if, there, if I'm going to do the work I want to do, I better do it in a place where they want me to do it. Thank you for listening to The Startup School with Seth Godin. To learn more about Seth or to subscribe to his daily blog, please visit SethGoden.com. You can also find his books in any bookstore or on Amazon.com. This has been an Earwolf Media Production. Executive Producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Ackerman. For more information, visit Earwolf.com.